Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have uh, two super interesting guests, uh, Carmel Mahidi is a professor, and uh, Eric Mervica, a PhD candidate at Carnegie Mellon. We're going to be talking about uh, a robotic skin they've made that uh, heals itself. So uh, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, doing great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I saw just a really brief article on the work you guys are doing, and it looked fascinating. So, um, you know, would you let uh, listeners know what what is it that you're working on? Tell me about it in brief. Yeah, so this is a a material that we recently developed in my lab. Um, It was a project that uh, Eric worked on uh, with uh, Mike Bartlett, um, another uh, former lab member who's now a professor at Iowa State. And um, this uh, builds on uh, a few years of uh, effort on trying to create uh, new types of, if you think about it, artificial skin and artificial nervous tissue to make robots more lifelike. So I'll let Eric kind of, you know, get into the material itself. Um, Yes, this uh, robotic skin is uh, composed of uh, liquid metal micro droplets embedded inside of a a silicone elastomer. Um, The skin has some unique properties. where it has this kind of negligible electromechanical coupling. So as you stretch this, uh, it's a very negligible increase in resistance. Um, the other thing that's really unique is as this material encounters damage, it's capable of automatically reconfiguring uh, the electrical circuit without loss of functionality. Yeah, so, so you can kind of think about this uh, robotic material like a soft, rubbery circuit. Um, and when we stretch the material, it kind of preserves those circuit properties. And, and uh, you know, because of the, these liquid droplets that are inside the rubber, that gives it this property that when you, say, cut or, or rupture the circuit wiring, uh, the little droplets, they, they kind of burst and they create uh, new conductive pathways around those damaged areas. Oh, wow. Interesting. So it's kind of like this self-healing kind of like artificial skin. So it's not necessarily meant to be a skin as our skin works, you know, to keep our insides in, but it's more, uh, it's more for flexible conductors and flexible circuits that can bend and, you know, go around various geometries. And if they're cut or stretched, they don't, they don't fall apart. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we think this could be useful in kind of like inflatable structures and such that would have to kind of bend and inflate um, and move that have some kind of dynamic motion. Right. And what well, another area that, Sorry, I was just going to add that uh, kind of another application might be uh, smart textiles and um, uh, kind of almost like wearable computing type devices that you could uh, just wear on your skin or incorporate into clothing. Uh, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, if I have, let's say, um, I don't know, a computer that was like a, you know, mounted right to my skin, let's say it's a Band-Aid or something, um, as I move yeah, and as exactly. I contort and bend, you don't want the uh, electronics in it to encounter more resistance or to stop functioning or that kind of thing, right? Right, exactly. So as you, just like you said, as you move your body, you want the circuits to um, remain functional uh, and also handle just everyday wear and tear. So if you, say, rub your body against a surface or if that circuit gets scratched or it gets punctured, uh, it would remain functional um, until you can you know, get it repaired or get it replaced eventually. Is it, yeah, I didn't consider that if you stretch or, you know, move um, 
I guess if you stretch a you know a circuit material, the resistance changes. Is that a big problem for current circuits? Yeah, I think that's a pretty large problem within the field of these kind of stretchable electronics. Uh, most of the wiring will drastically increase in, with stretch. Um, where here with this material, we see less than a 10% increase in resistance of a stretch up to 50%. Um, wow. This is really important for digital circuitry, but also analog circuitry. So if you have a huge increase in resistance, that will just add to the noise of the sensor you're trying to monitor. Say alternatively, if you uh, take a circuit and you stretch it and if the resistance increases, uh, then that's going to change the amount of electrical power that's del delivered to the digital uh, electronic components. And so that's something mm -hmm. that uh, we would want to see that amount of power stay pretty steady uh, during operation. So that's another reason why we want to minimize this coupling between deformation and electrical resistance. Yeah, I guess see this would be super important in uh, implants, anything having to do with uh, biology in the body. You know, you want fail. It sounds like this would act as a failsafe. You know, that it can uh, be abraded or torn or, you know, stretched, and it would still preserve its functionality, especially as it comes as it pertains to biology, right? Uh, for sure. Um, I mean, one. You know, important reason uh, that, that we want this, uh, one important reason we want this electrical self-repairing functionality is that we don't want catastrophic failure in the event that you do get some kind of tearing or rupturing or puncturing of the circuit. Um, if it's for, say, an implant or some uh, wearable device that's uh, monitoring your uh, uh, body vitals, um, there's circumstances where you can imagine it's very important to main, maintain continuous operation. Um, and even if it's just for a few minutes or a few hours after damage, uh, that's a lot better than having it instantaneously just shut off. Um, and so really one of the goals here is to uh, build these wearable and potentially implantable uh, machines and, and electronic systems uh, that don't undergo catastrophic failure when the unexpected happens. Could could a um, device like this act as a uh, sensor, you know, for another structure? You know, I don't know if this could go on a bridge at certain supports or in, uh, you know, an emergency uh, equipment that's needed in terms, you know, in case of a backup. Does it have any applications there? Um, yeah, I, I think most definitely. Um, this is kind of where this project initially started, where you have like this damage-induced conductivity. And um, we really struggled to how to use this in a real-world application. And this is where we really came to the um, self-healing property. But yeah, I think most definitely this could be used as a sensor. So where are you getting, um, you have commercial entities contacting you and are they coming from industries or applications that you're surprised about? Well, I mean, there generally has been interest in uh, new types of uh, soft, stretchable materials that where you can tailor their electrical and thermal properties. Um, and so uh, this material and, and related materials uh, that we've been developing in the lab have attracted uh, quite a bit of uh, attention from um, uh, companies in the electronics and, and the aerospace and automotive uh, industries. Um, I mean, the, the work itself uh, was funded by projects um, um, supported by NASA uh, and the Air Force. Uh, and so, um, I mean, those, those agencies also have been interested in the you know, potential role of these materials for more mechanically robust um, uh, electronics for, for aerospace applications. So there definitely has been that uh, industry uh, interest. Can you um, affect the material and cause its conductivity pattern to change? Let's say if you heat it, you know, I know stressing it will do that, but can you do it without the material being compromised? Can you have different inputs electrically or thermally or whatever to, to make the composition of its uh, conductivity different? 
Um, this isn't something we've necessarily experimentally studied um, yet, but when you do heat these materials, their electrical conductivity will change. Um, the conductivity will actually go down with heat, but this isn't something we've um, systematically studied yet. Yeah, and, and even that uh, influence of temperature seems to be pretty modest. Um, so we've uh, actually done some tests where we've reduced the temperature down to minus uh, 60, actually all the way down to minus 90 degrees C. And we find that for the most part, uh, these materials still have a lot of the same properties that we observe at room temperature. Um, and so it, it takes like, you know, to, to get the material even to freeze in these uh, liquid metal uh, droplets inside um, to, to solidify takes really low temperatures. Um, we haven't really tested uh, performance at highly elevated temperatures, but we wouldn't expect there to be too much influence. I mean, some uh, change in the conductivity, but uh, fairly modest and, and fairly typical for what you would see with most other uh, polymers and, and metals. Um, we've, um, let's see, so, I mean, in terms of other in, other, in terms of other materials that we've developed in my lab, uh, we actually have tried to engineer uh, materials that change their properties in response to heat. And so one direction, and not necessarily tied to this particular project, but um, a related uh, material that we've developed uh, has been uh, designed to change its stiffness uh, in response to heat or in response to electrical current that we pass through the material. And those materials will soften uh, when heated, and they'll do so in a reversible way. But for the material that we reported in this current paper with the self-healing, though, we haven't really seen too much uh, uh, thermal response. Well, that's good because, I mean, there's not just mechanical stress, but there's also thermal shock, you know, cold and heat and all that. So, I mean, it sounds like uh, materials made with this substance would be uh, resistant to a lot of, uh, again, mechanical wear and tear, you know, temperature cycling, all kinds of stuff. So it sounds amazing. Right. And that was really the goal from the onset was to make materials that are going to be a lot more robust in all these different real world conditions. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think there's amazing things you can do in uh, materials engineering and uh, working with micro scale and then nanoscale materials. And uh, what we sometimes found, though, is that materials that do exhibit some of these interesting electrical or thermal uh, or uh, self-healing type properties under certain lab conditions sometimes don't hold up. Uh, to other types of uh, factors and influences. And so it's really taken us a long time, uh, several years working with these types of materials to find just the right um, composition, the right microstructure, and also the right synthesis techniques so that we can kind of build them to, to be robust uh, and, and functional over uh, virtually any kind of environment that we would anticipate for the host robotic system. So what are the main challenges you guys have left? I mean, is this uh, producible at scale, or is it just like a very much a bench scale, you know, small amounts that you can produce at a time, expensive? You know, what are the challenges you want to overcome to commercialize this? I think it'll be pretty straightforward to uh, manufacture this um, at scale. I think one of our next big steps is while this material is electrically self-healing, it's not capable of mechanically self-healing or kind of filling in these holes. Um, or healing these cuts once they happen. So I think really one of our next big steps is how do we simultaneously not just electrically self-heal this material, but also mechanically self-heal. Hmm. Uh, do you imagine that the material will be 3D printed, or how will it be manufactured at scale? Or is that really not a concern right now? Um, I don't think that's a huge concern right now, but I think it could be manufactured in all kinds of uh, different ways, from um, traditional casting to 3D printing, 
um, I think a lot of different methods are very applicable to this material set. I'd say it's kind of another exciting direction. We would love to see this material uh, adopted in other types of soft robotics and wearable computing applications. In the paper, we presented just a few demonstrations, but um, when it comes to putting this into a humanoid robot or a, a wearable device that's capable of more uh, sophisticated electronic functions, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you know there, there could definitely be opportunities to explore other types of printing techniques. So 3D printing, I think, is one great approach to building uh, these uh, kind of more sophisticated uh, soft robotic systems. So I definitely think that you know there could be opportunities there as well. Is this only do you envision it only as a skin, or what about like an inner um, filler material? You know, a soft sensor that can. Uh, I don't know, maintain its properties, or is it really only functional as a as a skin, as an outside type thing? Well, I mean, I you know, I do see this as kind of like an artificial skin, but also like an artificial nervous tissue. I mean, I also see this as a filler material that could be in the interior of a soft robot and could provide uh, internal wiring between um, the limbs and the and the actuators and the motors of the soft robot, along with its embedded. Uh, processor and, and sensors and other electronics. Um, I mean, what I could kind of envision for, for a future soft humanoid robot would be, um, uh, uh, you know, something almost vascularized with, with the self-healing uh, material. So, no, I mean, I, I mean, I think the artificial skin and then using this for wiring at the surface, I mean, that has, uh, you know, some, you know, obvious advantages to us in terms of the types of projects um, and applications that we're pursuing right now. But, no, I see this also as, as, as potentially an artificial nervous tissue uh, that could be used throughout the robot. How did you uh, how did you guys come up with this? Did you look at, you know, the human body to see how tissues are constructed or nerves or, you know, what, what inspired the idea to come up with this? Well, we've been thinking about materials for soft robotics uh, for quite a while now, and we've been uh, uh, working a lot with uh, soft uh, polymers uh, like the, the silicone rubber that we use for this project. We've also been using uh, these liquid metal alloys. Um, um, and so people are usually, from, when they think liquid metal, uh, they think mercury. The, the types of metals that we're using, though, are non-toxic. These are alloys of gallium and indium. Uh, and so we've been uh, doing a lot of research and uh, coming up with ways to incorporate uh, these gallium-indium uh, liquid alloys uh, into rubber. Uh, and uh, um, one of the kind of the, the ideas that we had uh, kind of more recently uh, was to uh, have these uh, liquid metal alloys incorporated into rubber in the form of little microscopic droplets. And, and that kind of, uh, you know, as we were working on that, kind of the vision that came to mind uh, was to think about the droplets like kind of like analogous to neurons. I mean, going back to this uh, uh, example of, a, of an artificial nervous tissue, um, one way of, uh, that we thought about the way that these liquid metal droplets connect to, uh, together is it's somewhat analogous to the way neurons, uh, you know, form these synaptic connections and they form these networks within nervous tissue. And, uh, you know, just as uh, with nervous tissue, when it gets damaged or if tissue ever gets diseased, um, the, the neurons can reconfigure their network. Uh, we speculated, uh, we, we postulated that maybe these liquid metal droplets would do the same thing. And so that 
um, got us to kind of go back in the lab and, and try out some experiments um, to, to, to actually validate that, indeed, these liquid metal droplets are able to reconfigure themselves. And so there definitely was a strong inspiration uh, from biology in, in arriving at this, um, this discovery of the self-healing property within these composite materials. Do you think this ever could be used in the body, you know, when someone has their spinal cord severed or, you know, a nerve is uh, cut or damaged? Do you think this ever could be used as uh, an internal you know, conduit path to restore functionality? Well, we definitely think that uh, stretchable electronics and, and these types of soft, uh, rubbery, conductive materials are going to be important uh, for wear, uh, implantables um, and, and for repairing a, a tissue that has been damaged. Um, the liquid metal alloy I, I mentioned before is non-toxic, and, and there's been fairly extensive studies. Um, there hasn't been any evidence of you know, toxicity to, to cells, and and so we think that there is that potential that eventually, um, you know, with the appropriate approval, um, you know, through FDA, and um, uh, that uh, that maybe there could be uh, uses of this type of material uh, inside the body. But really, uh, kind of our purpose here wasn't necessarily to, you know, solve problems um, in in. Uh, in say medicine using this material instead it was to demonstrate these concepts and you know for us at least at this stage the silicone rubber and these uh, gallium indium alloys are kind of like model materials for us to test out these concepts uh, and if they do work uh, and, and so far they have been behaving in, in, in some of the ways that we've anticipated uh, then that kind of does open the door for exploring other types of um, similar material compositions that eventually could find their way uh, into Im implants and, and, and be used uh, for um, uh, medicine and, and uh, rehabilitation. And what, you know, you probably answered this already, but where do you think the very first uses are going to be? And, you know, what's like a generic timetable and when you think they may be, you know, uh, usable by production? Uh, yeah, I think some of the first initial uh, commercial applications of this is to integrate this with textiles. Um, for clothing, blankets, or some type of inflatable structures. Um, conceivably, I mean, this could be implemented within the next year. Oh, when you say textiles, you know, what kind of uses? Like a blanket that, an electric blanket that works better, or, uh, you know, a shirt that can monitor your heart rate? I mean, what kind of uh, specifics? Uh, yeah, most definitely. I, I think a heated blanket would be a really great application. This could be something um, where the electrical wiring would be used as kind of the heating element, but then the addition of this liquid metal really helps to distribute the heat um, within the blanket. So you don't just get hot spots, but you get this nice, really uniform heat um, across the fabric. Right. And, and the fact that it's rubbery and, and soft means it's not going to introduce any stiffness uh, to the fabric. So that's one advantage, advantage that this material would have over other types of uh, uh, conductive materials. Um, and like you said, I mean, we could use this for um, uh, health monitoring if we were to incorporate this material into uh, clothing, uh, we could use it to wire up uh, different types of microelectronic components or, or chips that are currently used uh, in, in health monitoring, uh, but then just have these uh, sensing elements distributed or spaced out um, more throughout the fabric. Uh, and then we could have these kind of stretchable, kind of very thin um, and, and kind of robust uh, uh, circuit wiring to, to connect all these components. Mm. And you talked about wanting to make it um, resistant to mechanical cutting, tearing, and all that. Uh, it sounds like that's a little bit further downfield. What are your ideas on uh, on enabling the material to like physically self heal or come back together? Well, I mean, 
I actually think that, you know, even in the absence of physically self-healing, there's still a lot of advantages to having the material just be electrically self-healing. Again, going back to this one application of incorporating these materials into textiles. I mean, our clothing undergoes a lot of wear and tear and, you know, just because, you know, something gets cut, you know, or torn or there's kind of a hole puncture, that doesn't mean that we have to just kind of toss away that, that garment. And so the idea is that if we did have uh, electronics kind of incorporated into the clothing, it could kind of, you know, still still kind of function. And, and yeah, even if it does get torn up and, you know, it doesn't kind of physically self, uh, heal itself, uh, it, it still could be useful. And, and these are things that I think we really have to be mindful of, not just for the wearable computing and these inflatable applications, but a whole range of other applications where we, we're taking electronics out of the hard case. Um, and, um, um, and we're, sorry, so we're, yeah, so, so we want to look at applications where, um, we're, we're taking electronics out of the, uh, you know, out of the hard case, and, and we're kind of um, uh, having them kind of used in, in kind of uh, kind of a broader type of context, and, and so you know, making it kind of more robust in, in this sense, I think, is, is pretty useful. Um, Eric, you, you've kind of worked all uh, sort of thinking of the, the, about actually making these also kind of physically self-repairing as well. So I don't know if you have some thoughts you want to share. Yeah, I think some of the first initial steps is kind of exploring other types of mechanically self-healing polymers out there to see if we get um, or if these polymers are capable of exhibiting the same um, kind of electrical self-healing response um, in addition to their inherent uh, mechanical self-healing. Yeah, probably if you marry the liquid metal droplets with uh, self-healing polymers, that's probably the path you'll go on to get to that. Yeah. And I guess at the very least, you're creating functional redundancy with this electrical self-healing. You know, so if you're wearing something or if you have a, you know, a circuit and um, the circuit gets sheared or torn and it can still work because I guess there's like electrical redundancy. The the circuit pathways can reconstruct themselves or or work even if it's ripped into a you know a bunch of uh, pieces or torn in a bunch of places. Yeah, and I, I think that, that's one really big advantage of this. And it's it's not just that we provide redundancy, but we provide redundancy without drastically increasing uh, the resistance of the overall circuit. And that that's I think one really unique thing compared to other types of redundancies. Okay. Well, very good. Um, I guess just last uh, question or two is what, what's the best way for uh, interested parties to get in touch with you, you know, to suggest commercial uses, collaboration, licensing, et cetera? How do they contact you? So probably the, the best is they just go to our uh, lab website. It's sml.me.cmu.edu. Uh, they can get my contact information. Uh, Eric's contact information is there, too. They can just email us directly, and then uh, we can kind of tell them more about the, the material. And also, uh, if they do want to get samples, uh, we can we can make those available as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, very good. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate coming on the podcast, and uh, you're working on some amazing stuff, so thank you. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having us. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.